Okay, so um, tonight uh, we're going to have uh, an exciting discussion, hopefully an exciting discussion about uh, a Shaila which uh, somebody presented to uh, to my Farus and myself uh, this week in the Kolo, by the, uh, the Hosha Mishpat Kolo. And uh, it was interesting because uh, he asked, uh, you know, he, he asked the question uh, and I gave him an answer and he said, that's it? Like, you're just going to answer it. You don't have any marmakomos, no sources or anything. You're just saying that this is a halacha. And I said, yeah, as far as I know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's one of those questions where it's less so uh, what the source is, and it's more just being able to identify what the shaila is. So once you identify what the shaila is, so then it becomes pretty straightforward how to answer it. The, the challenge of something like that is, to go ahead and uh, and to identify what the question is, so I went ahead and I so it made me a little bit nervous when I said that I didn't have any sources. I just know what the halach is going to be. So I I went ahead and uh, so I called my friend as I do with all my chosher mishpat stuff. I called my friend in uh, in New York and I asked him the the shaila, and he said, "Seems to me that you should be uh, you know he he gave the answer this uh, bar Hashem." Uh, I, I said the same answer that he said, and then he said, then I said that uh, they were asking me about the uh, sources. So he said, "Oh, when right off the top of the head, he rolled off these uh, the you know the sources, the places in Shulchan Aruch where these principles are found." And then uh, a couple hours later, he went ahead and he sent me a PDF with a similar shaila, but not exactly the same shaila. So this is going to be the uh, well, the the excitement for tonight for all of us here is I'm going to tell you my shaila. Then we're going to look at the Shiloh, which he found, the answer to that Shiloh, and then we're going to swing back around to our Shiloh. So hopefully we're going to go through all three of those steps. So the Shiloh, which was presented to me, was uh, a family went ahead and hired a caterer for a Simcha. And then a few days after the Simcha, so the caterer calls the uh, the Bala Simcha and says, uh, I, I didn't get paid. You didn't pay me the eight thousand dollars that uh, you know that uh, that we agreed upon for the uh, for the catering job. So the Baal Simcha said, "What do you mean? I paid you already." He said, "How could you have paid me already? I didn't send you an invoice." He says, "What do you mean you didn't send me an invoice? I got an invoice in the email. And as soon as I got the the an invoice in the email, I went ahead and I I sent the money right to, to your bank account because I wanted to uh, pay on time." So the caterer says, "I don't know what you're talking about. Could you forward me the email that you received?" So he went ahead and he forwarded in the email, and it turns out that somebody hacked into the caterer's email and went ahead and made up an invoice that looked like the caterer's invoice and sent it to this balasimcha. The balasimcha, thinking that this invoice was coming from the caterer, went ahead and followed the instructions and sent the money to uh, to the bank account. And now the uh, the caterer says, I'm so sorry, but you didn't pay me, you paid somebody else. I'm sorry that uh, you got fooled by this uh, thief, but you still owe me money. And the person says, what do you mean? I, I got an invoice. I did the reasonable thing that anybody else would do. You get an invoice from a service provider. You go ahead and you pay according to their instructions. Then why should I have to go ahead and pay twice? So that was the Shiloh, which was, which was presented to me. So now, before telling you my answer, so let's go ahead and let's see the similar, but not exactly the same Shiloh. So this comes from uh, a, a safer, it's not even a safer, it's really a Torah journal. Um, it was very hard for me to figure out what it is, because my friend, when he, uh, he texts, obviously, in English, because he has just a regular uh, dumb phone, which only allows him to do in English, but he's Hasidish. So the name of the safer, all of us here would pronounce it 
Vavei Hamudim Vachashukehem. But being that he's Hasidish, it said Vavei Hamudim Vachashikehem. So Hashikehem, because they say ooze are eyes or whatever it is. So it had me fooled for a little bit, into, or field for a little bit in terms of what exactly the uh, the word was. But eventually I was able to uh, to uh, to figure it out. So here we'll see a similar shaila. So here we begin with source number one. It is, uh, and it's it, it's a journal which is put out based on shiurim, based on the talks and whatnot from Yitzhak Zilberstein. He was a son-in-law of Rav Yashiv. He was a brother-in-law of Chaim Kanievsky, somebody who's well-known in the halachic world. They've translated many of his farm into English, and he's known as an expert in halacha in general, in medical halacha in particular. So here it says, Ruvain, uh, so Ruvain goes out and sells merchandise to Shimon for 50,000 shekel. After Shimon received delivery of all of the merchandise, so Ruvain calls up and he says, He says, it's time for you to go ahead and pay. I gave you $50,000 worth of, uh, of merchandise, time for you to pay. So Shimon, sorry, there's an extra vav in there. So Shimon goes ahead and he responds. He says, He says, no problem. He says, give me your banking information. I'll be more than happy to wire the money directly to your account. So what does Ruvain do? Ruvain, So Ruvain goes ahead and we'll just make it simple. He goes ahead and he sends an email with all of his banking information. And And the next day, Ruven calls Shimon, and he says, He says, what's going on? Why did you send me the money that you owe me? I gave you the banking information yesterday already. So what does, here I did it again. What does Shimon respond? He says, what do you mean? He says, of course I went ahead and I sent the money. I'll send you the receipt that I received from the bank, saying that I sent you the, uh, the 50,000 shekel. Ruvain receives the, uh, the, uh, the PDF, and then he looks at it, and he says back to Shimon, He says, that's not my banking information that you went ahead and sent it to. I don't even use that bank. I use a completely different bank. So he couldn't have sent it to my account. Shimon says back, He says, listen, I'll forward back to you the email that I received from you that has all the banking information, which I use. You gave me the information, I followed your instructions, and I paid the bill. And I did exactly as you instructed me to do. So now everybody's wondering what happened over here. And it becomes evident, as Ruvain looks over this invoice, so akrim, I had to look that up. That means hackers. That's the Hebrew word for hackers. So hackers have penetrated into somebody's computer. And when they see, I didn't look up that word, but I assume when they see this type of communication, so they intercept the email and they change the banking information. And as soon as the money is wired into their account, so they disappear without a trace, they withdraw the money, the money is gone, and there's no way you're going to be able to track them down. And after this incident, and it turns out that this has happened numerous times. I don't know exactly how that happened that they didn't realize yet, but this is something which the hackers are very good. 
and he says it's impossible to figure out who, who who's at fault over here. But that's what's going on. Hackers are getting in. When they see an invoice about to be sent, they go ahead and they grab the email. They change the details with the banking information that they want so that the money gets wired into their account. So now what does Ruvain? Ruvain's the merchant. So what does he say? He says, listen, he says, listen, I sent you merchandise worth 50,000 shekel, and Lemaisa, I never got paid. I never got the money for the merchandise. Ella, Luganovin, a bunch of thieves ran off with 50,000 shekel, but, says Ruvain, they stole your money, not my money. They didn't touch my money, they stole your money. And therefore, and I'm so sorry for your loss, but I gave you 50,000 shekel worth of merchandise. And you never paid me for it. And therefore, and until this moment, I haven't seen one penny or one agura, one pruta. I haven't seen any money at all for the merchandise which I sent to you, and you owe me 50,000 shekel. What does Shimon say back? He says, listen, I don't I I, I feel bad for you, Ruvain, that you didn't get paid yet. But you said you were sending me an email with the with the banking information to pay you the 50,000 shekel. I got an email that looks like it was from you. To send with instructions to put the money into this account. And I did exactly as I was instructed. Why am I responsible? to consider the possibility that maybe this invoice, I'm expecting an invoice from you. I get an invoice from you within an hour of when we last talked. Why do I have to consider the possibility that maybe somebody hacked into the computer within that hour, changed the banking information, and now it's going somewhere else rather than where you told me to do? I, I, I received your e- an email. You told me you're sending me an email. I received an email, and I followed instructions exactly. They broke into the computer. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, I did exactly as you instructed me to do. And therefore, as far as I'm concerned, I paid. So the question is, Hatzedek Imi. So who is is the difference? So far as I can see, the only difference between this and the first case is that in this case, in this case, the merchant told him he's sending an email, and in the other case, the email just came stam. Is, uh, is that the only difference? That's that, that that's the primary difference, yes, as we're going to see. And we'll see okay. why that makes a difference, but yes. Okay, so now, so this is Rav Zobrasin Shaila. So here we go into Chosha Mishpat. Uh, Simon, uh, we're going to start off with Simon Kufchaf, and then we're going to Kufchaf Aleph. So we're doing Kufchaf initially, just as an introduction, and it's going to uh, it's going to allow us to understand something in the subsequent sif. So here in Simon Kufchaf, so Shocharach says a very important principle: Hamos b'chrayis halova. So if I go ahead and I borrow money from uh, from you, Mel, you're right in the uh, in the, in the middle over here in the Hollywood Square. So you're in Paul Lin's seat. So you're right there in the uh, the middle. So uh, uh, so uh, Mel goes out and loans me money. So I am responsible for that money. Until either I repay Mel directly or I repay Mel's shliach, his agent. But now let's say I'm standing on one side of the street. Mel is on the other side of the street. He says, hey, Shep, it's time for you to pay back. 
and I take a wad of bills and I throw it across the street to Mel to pay back. And in that wad of bills is the correct amount that I owe him. It has the exact $20 which I owe him. So I throw it across the street in order for it to reach him. Vinevdu. And at that exact moment, a squirrel comes by and grabs a wad of bills to go ahead and make a nest out of. And therefore the money is now gone. Kaif. So I am still responsible because Lamaisa, I didn't, Mel never got his money. So even though I was throwing it to him, I was trying to get it to him, being that Lamaisa, he never received the money. So I remain obligated to repay Mel the $20 which I borrowed. Not only that, amazingly, even if Mel shouts to me across the street, he says, hey, just throw the $20 across the street. You could just throw it to me. You don't have to get out. I'm, I'm, I'm passing by in my car to repay him. And I'm about to get out of the car. Mel says, no, don't bother getting out of the car. Just toss it over to me. I'll catch it. So he tells me to throw it to him. Bizarku And I throw it to him. And the squirrel comes and steals the money. So even though Mel told me to throw it to him, if Lamaisa, a squirrel, comes along and steals the money, Chayev, I remain obligated because I haven't paid my debt. I haven't repaid the money. That's what Shulchan Aruch says in Kufchaf. Now, in Kufchaf Aleph, the very next simon, so Shulchan Aruch says as follows. Shalach lo chovo opigdono So the same scenario. I owe Mel $20 and I send the money with some sort of shliach. Some sort of agent. Now, whether who's going to be responsible if something happens. So, so let's say Mel said to me, listen, Ralph is stopping by my house today, uh, tonight after Marv anyways. Give the $20 to Ralph and he'll bring the money over to my house after Marv and we're good to go. So I follow those instructions and I go ahead and I give the $20 to Ralph and lo and behold, somebody goes ahead and carjacks Ralph, and they go ahead and they run off with the $20, so Potter. So in that case, Shochanach says, I'm Potter. So Mel told me to give it to his agent. I gave it to Mel's agent. When Mel's agent receives it, when Ralph receives it, it's as if I've or, the money has already reached Mel, and now I'm no longer responsible if, if the money never actually gets there. Not only that, but Vafilo Amrlo Peh even if Mel did not speak to me directly and tell me to give the money to Ralph, he went ahead and he sent me a text. Back in the day, they used to write letters. But now we'll just say that he sent me a text or WhatsApp. He says, and I get a WhatsApp, which says, send them the $20 you owe me with Ralph. And I went ahead and I sent it with him. And the money gets lost. Again, Pater, I'm exempt. Because I did exactly what I was instructed to do, and therefore I'm exempt. Vuhu providing. Yes. It sounds to me, if I put it into my own thought category, of um, if I'm borrowing a book from the library, and I take the book and I lend it to somebody else, and they lose it, who's responsible for the book? Right? Is it me or the other person? So it sounds what you're saying is that it's the other person because they borrowed the book from you, they have to pay back the library book. Is that correct? So in that case, which you just presented, so there's actually two different relationships which are going on. There's the the library's relationship with you, and then your relationship with the person you lent it to. That's the same thing. Isn't that the same thing as um, lending money? 
Um, no, not necessarily, because over uh, in in this case, Ralph becomes the an alter ego of Mel. They become one in the same. That your agent and you become one in the same. As opposed to when you borrow the book from the library, the library only knows you, that you borrowed the book and they're coming after you. Your only recourse is to hope the person that you lent it, I'm not saying you're allowed to lend it to anybody else in the first place, but the person who you lent it to, they only have a relationship with you. They don't owe anything to the library. So there could be circumstances where you owe the library, but your borrower doesn't owe you. So if you're taking the money and you're giving it to a shaliach to give to, for you to somebody else, then you are responsible, and then they're responsible for the money, not you, because they lost it. That's what you're saying, right? right. I mean, the, whether or not the shaliach is chayiv is a different discussion, but the main thing is, is that I, the borrower, am not chayiv, because I okay. did what the, uh, the lender instructed me to do. Then we say that this only works that I sent it with the shliach and I'm off the hook, it's obviously talking about where I recognize the handwriting of the person who is the uh, the lender. And then he says, And even if it turns out that the shliach that Mel appointed was is a non-Jew or anybody else who doesn't have das, so still I'm going to be exempt. So in other words, that in the event that uh, Mel says to me, you don't have to come over to the house and drop off the $20. Just put it in the mailbox. And the assumption is when I put it in the mailbox, so a, a non-Jew is going to pick up the money, bring it to the post office. The post office is going to process it, non-Jews. Post office is going to give it to the next mailman, non-Jew, who's going to drop it off by Mel's house. And we all know that there's plenty of stories in which mailmen are running off with, uh, with mail. I don't know what happens in Florida, but in Chicago, that happens often enough. So there's plenty of stories like that, but it doesn't make a difference because as long as Mel told me to put it in the mail, so I and I put it in the mail, I am off the hook no matter what happens to the money at that point. Um, and then he says, And even if Mel did not give me a specific person to send the money with, but rather he said, He didn't say, send it with so-and-so which would be a clear um, uh, appointment of somebody as a shliach. But Mel said to me, listen, I, it doesn't matter to me who you send it with, just send it with somebody responsible. So he didn't even, he doesn't even care who I give the money to, as long as it's somebody who's responsible. And then I choose my own person that I'm going to send it with, and the money gets lost. Oh, or the worst case scenario is, I give it to a shliach. I say, listen, do me a favor. Mel said that I could give it to somebody to drop off the money by you. And that person disappears. Person goes off to Eretz Yisrael for three and a half weeks. So they're not, a, they're not around anymore. And there's, a, there's nobody to, uh, to run after. So nonetheless, potter. So still, I'm going to be potter. Because since Mel's instructions were, find a shliach and send it to me with that shliach. So I have the discretion of which shliach I want to use. And all of that is still following uh, Mel's instructions. Provided that I went ahead and I sent it with somebody who is considered to be a trustworthy and reliable person, and everything, all the rest of it. Okay, so the rest of it we don't need to see. So now, what you have over here is, so here we have an interesting thing, an interesting uh, a contradiction, and that is that on the one hand, 
we say that in the in source two, we said that the money remains in my achrayas. I'm responsible for it until it actually reaches Mel. And then we say that if in in the in source three, we say that that uh, if I go ahead and I follow instruct, sorry, let me say that better. That in source two. We say that if Mel if Mel says to me while I'm about to get out of my car, just toss it my way, and that's uh, that's fine. And I toss it to him, and the squirrel takes it. I remain chayev; I'm still responsible. But in the event that Mel says, "Just put it in the mail, and then it'll get to me," and I follow instructions, and then it gets lost or stolen, I'm not responsible. So how does this work? In one case, I followed instructions. And I remain responsible. That was source number two. And then in source number two, I follow instructions. And as long as I followed instructions, then I'm exempt. So how could it be that when I follow instructions, I'm both exempt as well as chayas, as well as well as liable? So how do we reconcile these two things? So here the Sma explains the Sma back in Kufchaf, source number two. So the Sma says the Mistama Zrok Ushmar Kamerlek that when Mel said to me, listen. Do me, you, you don't have to bother getting out of the car, just toss it to me from the car. So although Mel told me to toss it from the car, the assumption is he wanted me to still be responsible for it until it reaches him. So he says, you don't have to get it, you don't have to hand it to me personally, as long as it securely reaches my hands. So that's what Zroku Shmorli, you can throw it if you want, but make sure to, that, that it's guarded and protected uh, until it actually reaches my hand. And that's why he says, Now, if you look in source number three, where it says, That if the instructions were to send it with somebody, even if that person is a non-Jew, the person is an irresponsible child, somebody who can't be held accountable, and I follow those instructions, I'm going to be exempt. So how do we reconcile these, uh, whether, uh, figure out when I'm exempt and what, when not? So we say, the shiny hasam, because it's different over there. If I say, send it with shloimi, so when you go ahead and you say, I say, send it with shloimi, so the low, mistabra lo me it doesn't make any sense to think that I meant send it with a child, but make sure you follow the child all the way until the money is delivered. That's an unreasonable expectation. Obviously, if you say, if I say put it in the mail, nobody thinks I mean put it in the mail and then follow the mailman all the way to the post office and then from the post office for it to be delivered. When you say put it in the mail, that means you we're now entrusting the mail service to go ahead and, uh, and uh, faithfully uh, deliver this, and you're not going to be responsible anymore. But if Mel merely says to me as I'm getting out of my car, don't bother, just toss it to me. So the assumption is, is that he has in mind that he want, he, he's not absolving me of responsibility as of yet. He is still holding me responsible until the money actually reaches him. Okay, now here is where things get fun. So now in source five over here, and I took it from the Levush, just because the Levush uh, uh, very much parallels Shulchan Aruch, but he also uh, adds a little bit uh, more explanation and clarity than we would get from Shulchan Aruch directly. So that's why we're going to go with uh, this. So he says, now here's a slight variation. So the case is, that um, the lender, let, let's not even put it that way. 
the bower receives communication from the lender that says, quote, the hundred dollars that you owe me, to Shalchenuli Biad Levi. Give it to Levi to give to me. So that would be the equivalent of Mel said that I that I receive a message from Mel that says in the message, send the money that you owe me with Ralph. Okay. And then So I gave Ralph the $20 and I sent him to go ahead and repay Mel. And uh, something happens, it gets stolen from, from Ralph. Now, Malva. Now, uh, so uh, the so Mel comes to me and says, why didn't you pay me the $20 that you owe me? I said, what do you mean? I got a message from you saying, give the $20 to Ralph, and he'll pick up the money from me. And I did that. What does Mel respond? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I never wrote such a message, and I never sent you such a message. This is a, a, a hacked communication. This is exactly what we're talking about over here. This is hacked. I didn't send it. So now, what's the story? So now let's say we no longer have we we put it on a, a a WhatsApp group chat where the messages automatically delete after a week. There's a setting that you could do that everything deletes after a week. So if we no longer have a record of the communication, and I say to Mal, listen, I recognize uh, your handwriting, and I know for sure this was your hand handwritten communication which I received. And based on the authority and my recognition of his handwriting, that's why I sent the money. So, so I take a shvua, I take an oath, uh, swearing that I received a handwritten letter from Mel instructing me to give the money to Ralph. And that's why I sent the money with Ralph. The Yifter. And now I'm off the hook. So here we have the, almost the exact same scenario. I claim that I received a letter from Mel telling me to send the money with Ralph. Mel says, I never sent you such a letter. And I take a shvua to the effect that I received a handwritten letter from Mel, which looked like his handwriting. As far as I could tell, it was his handwriting. So I take a shvua and I don't have to pay him back. Why? Why don't I have to pay him back? So here we have what's called the halachic principle called migu. Migo, for those uh, who, are, who, are, who don't know, Migo is a, um, is a, uh, a rationale which says that you should believe me as far as what I'm saying, because if I wanted to lie, there's a much better lie I could tell, a much more effective lie and a much better lie. So here, what we're saying is, uh, believe me when I claim that I received a handwritten note from Mel saying that I should give the money to Ralph, you should believe me that I'm telling the truth. Bimigu, because if I want, because if I wanted, I could say, I don't know what you're talking about, Mel. You never loaned me $20. <laughs> I, I, you don't have a written record of the fact that I owed you the money. So being that, the easiest lie is to say, so therefore, if I admit that I borrowed the money, but I'm claiming that I received the handwritten note from you uh, that I should give the money to Ralph, so you might as well believe me, because if I was a liar, there's a much simpler, straightforward lie to say. Or I could go ahead and I, since it's an undocumented loan, I could always say to Mel, what are you talking about? I paid you on Tuesday. And therefore, you have no evidence to the contrary. You don't have a written contract saying that I owe you the money. So I, it's a believable claim or a believable response for me to say that I already paid you back. But, now here's where we get to our case over here. 
if both people recognize, they admit that they 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 realize that the computer was hacked, the uh, the uh, caterer didn't send the uh, communication, or the merchant didn't send the communi- the caterer didn't send the communication, and I agree that now that you showed me, this is not your what your normal invoice looks like. But I say, listen, when Ralph came to me and he told me that he's Mel's representative to collect the money, I believed Ralph. It was my mistake that I trusted the guy. Now, how could you trust a guy that talks like uh, Donald Duck? But I trusted him. So I went ahead and I, uh, so I trusted him. I thought that it was, I thought it was authentic. Oh, or let's say they don't, they're not sure. Okay. Uh, Okay, so I have my claims that I had every reason to believe that this was authentic. I'm skipping a line over here. So Imtan HaMalv, and then Mel responds back to me, and he says, Vamar, lo olam, I never sent you any handwritten notes. And others hacked in, and they went ahead and they forged this letter, and uh, they signed my name on it. So what happens over here? So we both agree that this is not Mel's, that Mel did not write this. But I'm claiming that as far as I could tell, it looked like it was yours. And Mel is saying, I'm so sorry, but I never sent anything and I'm not responsible for that. So in this case, this is now put into a halacha category, which is called, I admit, I acknowledge that I have borrowed money from Mel. And now I'm claiming that I, I, I thought that I was giving it to a representative of Mel and I paid back the, uh, I paid back the money. Now I acknowledge, though, that it may very well be that the person that when Ralph came and picked up the money, he was not actually representing Mel. And therefore, I was fooled, he was fooled. But I don't know for sure if I successfully repaid the money which I owed. So anytime you have a circumstance where you know for sure there was a debt, and now you're uncertain whether you paid back, then you got to pay. You got to make good on your obligation because the one thing we know for certain was that there was a, an existing debt somewhere in this timeline. Lefikach, therefore, halova nifkan chayvacharyusan. Therefore, the borrower uh, or the, the borrower is going to be responsible. Umeshalem Okay, the rest of it we'll leave out. So the lova ultimately is going to have to go ahead and, and, and pay. So that is. What the uh, that that's what the uh, the, the Levush or Shukharach says in Sif Dalit. So Sif Dalit over here is addressing the case where there's a claim of a forgery, and in the claim of the uh, the forgery, so it may very well be that uh... right. Okay, so now for actually I summarize. So now the Shach explains on this. This is the Shach. In Sivkan Chav base. So this is An Siv Dawud. So here the Shach makes a very important point, which is most relevant for our case. And that is, Aval Bim Loyaksav Yado. Let's say uh, I claim that I received this handwritten note from Mel saying that I should give the money to Ralph. And now it turns out we, we acknowledge that it was it, it's a forgery. That I claim that listen, I received this as far as I'm concerned, I received a handwritten note from Mel saying that I should I should pay. But at this point, Vinoda Shaziafu, it's now clear to everybody involved that this was a forgery. So it's not as if I'm claiming that it's really authentic. 
and it's uh, and, and I'm denying the fact that there's a forgery. I acknowledge it is a forgery. So what happens in that case? So says the shach pshita de'en kan shvua. So everybody agrees in such a case there is no shvua umeshalim, and I'm going to have to pay shaharei noda shachem remove. That because at this point we acknowledge everybody acknowledges that somebody else went ahead and tricked me, and therefore I have no reason why I don't have to repay Mel. In other words, my the whole reason, the whole argument to make that I don't have to pay repay Mel is only in the event that I could somehow justify why I paid that uh, that shliach, which which uh, the the person who presented himself as uh, as Mel's agent. But once everybody acknowledges, both of us are on board, and we see clearly that somebody fooled me, somebody misrepresented himself to me, and they stole the money from me. So at that point where I acknowledge that the money was stolen from me, then, says the shach, there's no shavua to take, and I have to pay Mel the $20. So Ralph went ahead and he ran off to Vegas with the $20 that I thought he was collecting for Mel. Now at least he has something to play on the slots to get the 20 pulls. So he's got something to, uh, to, uh, to work with. But in the meantime, so that doesn't help me. That doesn't get me off the hook. I'm still going to be responsible to pay Mel because... I agree that I never paid him. I'm acknowledging that I never paid him, that Ralph went ahead and stole from me. And being that Ralph was the one who stole from me, I still owe Mel the money which I acknowledge that I borrowed, and therefore I'm going to be on the hook as far as that is concerned. Um, now, one last source before we swing everything back together. Now, the Aruch HaShulchan on this, so he explains a little bit further. And he says, Now let's say, after examining the paperwork, I, the lova, I, the borrower, I acknowledge that this invoice which I received is not actually from the merchant. It's not actually from the caterer. It's not actually from Mel, whatever it is. Or I don't know for sure what his his signature looks like. But there are certain uh, indicators, there's certain writing, or there's certain uh, signs on the communication which would lead me to believe that this is actually coming from Mel. So like in the case of the caterer, where the invoice which I received has the date of the event, it has the agreed upon price, which was the $8,000. So when somebody goes out and tells you, uh, you know, that uh, they found the winning lottery ticket in Zimbabwe, and if you just go ahead and send them a couple of hundred dollars, they'll be able to uh, take money out of the country and you'll, uh, it'll be a fortune. So when every third word is spelled, uh, is spelled wrong, so you already know to be suspicious. But this had all of the trappings and all of the presentation of being an authentic uh, invoice because it had all of the relevant information. It had the date of the event and it had the right amount of money. So how am I supposed to know that this is not an authentic uh, uh, invoice? The hamalva, and in in the, the, that case, hamalva eno machish asimanim shebeneim, and the malva meaning mel mel malva mel. So the mel goes ahead and he acknowledges the fact that indeed this invoice has all of the relevant information which would indicate to you that this is authentic. Ela shetoin anilo shalachtik savze. But he says, it looks like my invoice. 
But Lamaisa, it's not. Everybody here has gotten an, uh, an email from somebody that looks like it's coming from your bank. And you get nervous because it's got their logo on it and it's got all those all, all those things. So the person says, Mel says, listen, I know it looks like my invoice, but I never sent an invoice. And other people came along. Mel is saying, I'm so sorry for you, Shavel. But other people went ahead and they hacked into things. They fooled you. They knew the date of the event. They stole the email. So they knew the date of the event. They knew how much it was being charged. So in their case, says the Arach HaShochan, as we said, Hadin Imamalva. So Mel is going to win in that case. Because since Lamaisa, he never sent the communication. And therefore, I, the customer, I remain responsible to pay the invoice, the actual invoice, the actual amount which I owe, whether it is in the case of the merchandise which was purchased, or whether it would be in the case of the caterer. Because I should have confirmed that just because there were uh, indicators saying that this is an authentic uh, uh, and authentic um, uh, communication, I should have confirmed to make sure 100%. And being that I acknowledge that this, at this point, I acknowledge that this is not Mel's signature and it's not his invoice. Or if I don't know whether it is or it's not. Once again, it's as if I acknowledge that I owed the money in the first place. And I don't know whether I paid you back. The chayev that is going to be chayev. So these are the, the principles, these are the, the guiding principles which are going to be relevant for both of these, uh, these sets of cases. So here, before we get to our case with the cater, so now Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein brings us back to his case. So remember, this is a case with Ruvain and Shimon, not Mel and I, but this is a case with Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain sold $50,000 worth of, uh, of merchandise. Uh, uh, Shimon was expecting an email with the banking information where to pay the bill. Shimon received an email with that information, filed instructions and paid the bill. And now we discovered that it was a forgery. Somebody uh, hacked into a, into a computer and went ahead and changed the information on the invoice. So what does Zilberstein say based on our, the principles which we've seen? So it says, So let's swing it back now to our case. So Ruvain said to Shimon, I'm sending you an invoice by email, and the invoice which you receive by email will have the relevant, my relevant banking information, and send me the 50,000 shekel that you owe me with that banking information. And indeed, Shimon received the email that he was expecting, and he deposits or he sends over the 50,000 shekel into what he thought was Ruvain's account. These barer, and now at this point, we discover Shechem Zifu Esadar. They, uh, they hacked into the, uh, into the account, they hacked into the email, and they changed around the relevant banking information so that Ruvain never received the money. So, what's going to be the halacha in that case? So, Zuberstein Paskins. So in that case, he says, Shimon is exempt from having to pay again. So Shimon paid the $50,000. Although Ruvain never received the $50,000, nonetheless, Shimon is still exempt. Why? So based on the reason which we said, 
Shimon says to Ruven, you told me to send the money to the banking information that I received in an email. I got an email, it had banking information, and therefore I sent the money. I did exactly as you instructed me to do. And And if Ruvain did not seem to be concerned, everybody knows there's such a thing as hackers. So if Ruvain didn't say, listen, I want you to send me the money, but I'm hesitant to send my banking information by email because somebody may see it and then they could go ahead and they could use it, they could drain my bank account, whatever it is. So if Ruvain wasn't concerned about the possibility that a hacker may hack into the email or take that relevant information, so, Lama Shimon So, why does Shimon have to be concerned about that possibility if Ruvain was comfortable with sending that information in that way? So, Shimon could also be comfortable in doing so. And, as Art said, being that in Rev Zilberstein's case, so the Ruvain gave explicit instructions to Shimon this is how I want you to pay me back. And Shimon followed those instructions to a T crossed his T's, dotted his I's, and he made sure he got it to the right uh, to the right address. So Shimon is not responsible. That's the same thing as when uh, Mel tells me, give it to the mailman. I give it, I put it in the mail, and then some, one of the mailmen goes out and steals it. It's not my responsibility anymore. I paid back as I was instructed to do. The fact that the money got lost along the way, that's no longer my responsibility. That is going to be Mel's loss. That's the case which Rev Zerberstein talks about. Now, in our case, back with the caterer, so here the caterer never said that he was sending the customer an email with an invoice. They had the event. He was just expecting that the customer was going to go ahead and give him the money. And he didn't send out an invoice. They had whatever their agreement was, why, uh, how he was going to be paid, he was going to be paid. But he was expecting that the customer would just go ahead and send him, send him the money. Then, unbeknownst to him, the customer receives an email with an invoice. So being that, he received an invoice, but he was never instructed, he was, he was never told that an invoice was coming. He was never told that I'm sending you an invoice with instructions how to pay me back. So he never received any communication that this is what he should do. So back going back to our original halacha in Source 2 over there, if I, as the bower, never receive instructions about what, how I'm supposed to pay back, so we said in Source 2, in Simon Kuvchav, that I remain responsible for that money until it actually reaches your hands. And being that, it got lost along the way. So if you never told me to put the money in the mailbox, and then I put the money in the mailbox and it gets lost, I'm responsible for that lost money. You never got paid, and you never told me to send it in the mail. So therefore, if I if I decide on my own how I'm going to send it to you and it gets lost, so Simon Kufchav says, I'm responsible for that money until it's actually gone. And therefore, in that case of the caterer, so being that he didn't get instructions how to pay, he just decided on his own that, or not on his own, but he was fooled by an invoice which he never told was coming. So then that is not the, uh, the caterer's responsibility. And the customer, sadly, was uh, he was, uh, it was money was stolen from him, but just because money was stolen from him is not enough to go ahead and exe- uh, exempt him from having to pay his bill, which he acknowledges is an authentic bill of eight thousand dollars to the caterer. Now, this is something which is important. This the caterer case is a little bit uh, 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 unusual that you would have something like that that somebody's going to uh, um, um, 
hack into the caterer's account and make up an invoice like uh, like was done. That's already fancy stuff that they were doing. But the more common scenario of this, and we we received on the hotline in the Kola, we received the Shiloh many times, and that is when people want to go ahead and sell you money. So rather than even wiring money into your bank account, so you could use Zelle, you could use Venmo, Chase Quick Pay, whatever you know account that uh, that uh, that they use nowadays in order to send money one from the other. So uh, you know when we go to uh, to Lakewood now, for example, so you get uh, you know four or five of the kids go into the barber shop, they all get haircuts, and I go ahead and I Zell him money. I don't have to give him any money whatsoever. I could just, uh, there's on the wall, it says, sell the money to this account. And you just send the money, uh, you know, electronically into, into his account. So what happens sometimes is I owe uh, Bob some money. And I say, Bob, how can I send the money to you? He says, I'll give you my Zell info. Now, the Zell info is nothing more than his phone number. So he goes ahead and quickly taps on his phone with uh, his phone number. I receive the phone number. I go into my Zell account. I say, I want to send money. I cut and I paste the phone number which Bob sent to me, and I put that into the Zell, and it says $150 were sent. Give out it. Then it turns out, so an hour later, Bob says, I thought you were sending me the money. I said, I did send you the money. He said, but I never received the money. I said, I don't know how you couldn't have received the money. I sent it to the phone number that you, you sent me. I cut and paste directly from the text. How could it have not uh, reached you? And then Bob looks over at the text. He says, oh my God, I hit seven rather than eight. I hit the wrong number, and it must have gone to somebody else's account. I'm so sorry that I did that to you, but you still owe me $150. So based on what we learned, I tell I tell Bob, rule number two of Choshe Mishmat, what is it, Mel? Too bad, so sad. So that's what we say, that listen, you told me that I should sell the money to the number that you're sending me. I sell the money to the number you sent me. The fact that you typed it in wrong, that's your bad, that's not my bad. Because you gave me instructions, send the money to this number, and I did exactly what you instructed me to do. And it doesn't matter if it's $150, $1,500, $10,500, it doesn't matter how much money it is, whatever it is, if you give me the wrong Zell number, so if you weren't conscientious enough to double check that you're sending me the correct number, I don't have to be any more conscientious than you are. And as long as I'm following the exact instructions which you gave to me, so then I'm actually exempt. And I'll tell you that we actually have this by this uh, chasa that we that we made for Daniil. So uh, we, it was, came time to make the last payment to the caterer. And I said, where do I send the money to? And they sent me an email. And I put it into to Zell. And it came back. As, it, it was like a weird response that I got. Are you sure you're sending it to this number? I said, yeah, I, they're a caterer. They send out invoices like this all of the time. So I went ahead and I sent it to them. It turns out that the secretary didn't cut and paste. She put caterer rather than catering or somehow there was a mistake with the way that uh, she she where she told me to send the money fortunately um there is no other one nobody else has that number or that email that went to somebody else's account so i could just cancel that payment and then send it to the correct thing but she actually sent me the wrong email address where to go how to go ahead and sell them the uh, the money and thankfully that wasn't uh, you know the, nobody suffered any loss because of that but it's not an unusual thing that people end up, it happens all the time that you make uh, you know, mistakes as you're texting a, a number, you're texting an email, and it can end up costing uh, lots of people lots of money. But the main principle is, if you followed the exact instructions which you were given, then you're no longer responsible. 
if you didn't actually receive those instructions and you just received this hacked invoice, which uh, the uh, the person never told you to expect, so then you would be you, the borrower, or you, the customer, would be responsible for that money, and then you'd have to go ahead and you'd have to pay again. Good. Okay. Give Valik. Thank you. So, the, thank you. What? 